Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 594. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine. And uh, happy anniversary, mutants. You ding-dang mutants. <laughs> and you damn dirty apes. Is that Whoa. right? Whoa. That, Whoa. That's, oh, wait. That's Planet of the Apes. Sorry. That's my That's bad. a hard stance, Lorraine. Are you okay with that? No, no, I'm not. I'm not okay in general, but I'm so excited that it's the X-Men 60th anniversary big week for us here at Marvel. Yeah, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, games, comics, movies, TV, all the fun stuff that Lorraine and I are excited about. And as Lorraine mentioned, it is us celebrating anniversaries, including X-Men 60th. And this week we're talking with Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sabolsky about the X-Men anniversary, Avengers anniversary, lots of anniversaries. Plus, with some teases and surprises. You know, there are so many different memories of X-Men from different points in my life. I think that's what's so important, too. You know, with comics, sometimes you always remember the time and the place in your life when you read that comic and how it affected you. And it affects you differently when you read it years later. Reading X-Men, especially a lot of the the reprints that have come out recently, are taking me back. Don't miss that chat a little later on. We have more stuff, though, coming up in this episode, including, not limited to... A very, very special Marvel Insider Code. It's somewhere at the end of the show. You'll have to listen to this episode to get it. Um, If you're not already a Marvel Insider, go sign up right now and then you'll be ready to get your free points. Yep. There you go. All that fun stuff. Marvel Insiders, I hope you were also ready for the X-Men 60 Uncanny Years virtual live event that we held because we gave away a bunch of points and some other stuff. We'll get into that, but a little bit of a recap because, you know, it is uh, celebrating 60 years of X-Men and this week, just last night from when this episode releases, we had a triple D ding dang delight of an event that we held for Marvel Unlimited annual and annual plus subscribers. If you aren't able to attend, some of the highlights include a conversation with Chris Claremont, Louise Simonson, and Walter Simonson, which is delightful, a conversation with Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri talking about art and creative stuff in the late 80s and early 90s, which I always am very happy to talk about, a panel talk covering the original 90s X-Men the Animated Series and the upcoming Marvel Studios X-Men 97 show with folks behind both series, which, come on, Lorraine, that's... That's... Honestly, that's a hot tip because we haven't heard a whole ton about it. You know, we've gotten some little looks at D23 and beyond, but this is good. It's a spicy meatball. Yeah. We had freaking Grant Morrison and Jonathan Hickman together chopping it up about X-Men, getting to ask Grant if Cyclops can dance and then experiencing Mm. their answer and subsequent dance moves. Truly a career highlight. I hope you got to see that, everyone uh, who's listening. I love Grant Morrison so much. It's ridiculous. Uh, Plus, we got some teases of what's to come for the X-Men this year from editors Jordan D. White and Lauren Amaro, including some tidbits such as uh, a new arc of Marvel's Voices Infinity comic featuring Negasonic Teenage Warhead uh, that was surprise dropped during the virtual event. So if you have MU, you can now read that issue. It's written by Andrew Wheeler with art by Carola Borelli. And uh, in it, Negasonic Teenage Warhead has one hour to find a girl. She's never met kiss her and save the universe plus there's some bonus deadpool i'm into it yeah we also got to hear that there's a new arc of x-men unlimited infinity comic called the unofficial x-men starting with number 80 that's going to start rolling out later this month it's got jubilee and the young mutants previously introduced in marvel's voices pride it's by writer grace freud artist alberto albuquerque and colorist yen nitro so get excited for that we're going to be talking more Marvel's Voices Pride a little bit later in the show. We got our first look at the new Hellfire Gala 2023. We got some art. Uh, We got some tidbits about it, such as it's the kickoff of Fall of X, which is, of course, the next big period for X-Men comics. It's on sale July 26th. Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Chris Anka, Joshua Cassara, Russell Dodderman, Adam Kuber, Pepe Larraz, Arby Silva, Luciano Vecchio, and more holy friggin' moly oof 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 also lorraine we got the announcement and the first details of the uncanny avengers free comic book day book which is coming may 6th with a hellfire gala story an x-men story by jerry duggan and joshua kassara plus a secret story and jerry also announced 
Uncanny Avengers number one coming in August by him, artist Javier Garon and Maury Hollowell on colors with the team's going to have Captain America and Rogue and Quicksilver and Psylocke and Penance and Deadpool. I mean, come on. It's some good stuff. I mean, so much wonderful stuff to come. And also, you know, just a shout out to the legacy of the X-Men. You know, it all kicked off. In 1963 with X-Men number one, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Paul Reinman, and Sam Rosen, who was the letterer on that original issue. So many great people behind these series over the last 60 years. And I'm so excited that we get to celebrate them, not just this week, but all year long. Yeah. So going back to the the event, we also got a really cool bit of information that at San Diego Comic-Con this year, D23, the official Disney fan club, will be hosting the first ever real life Hellfire Gala during uh, during the con nice. in July. More details to come on that soon, but we know how much our X-Men fandom loves to cosplay and costume. And so I'm excited for that one. Also, I teased it, but we gave away tens of thousands of Marvel Insider points Dang. and dozens of toys and books as giveaways. Um, and there was even more stuff. Like we were just saying, come to this event. You get all kinds of cool experiences. Plus, maybe you can walk away with something extra cool as well. So it was a rad event. Of course, this was the first one that we really did for this year. But don't miss the next one. Make sure you're a Marvel Unlimited Annual or Annual Plus subscriber right now. Go to marvel.com slash unlimited. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Um, You don't want to miss these. We're going to have a lot of anniversaries this year. It's mm-hmm. a good year to be a part of Marvel Unlimited. All right. It was also a good weekend to be a, a Marvel fan. Congratulations are in order for anyone who got to watch the Academy Awards over on ABC. Congratulations to Ruthie Carter for winning an Oscar again for Best Costume Design, this time for Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Of course, she first one for Marvel Studios Black Panther. And Ruth is the first Black woman to win two Oscars, which is bananagrams. Additionally, you know, she had the honor of being the first person to win a costume design Oscar for both an original film and a sequel. So just huge congratulations to her and the entire costume team and design team and everyone over at Marvel Studios. Just a really incredible night. And I mean, Ruth Carter is an icon. Let's be honest. She can do no wrong in my eyes. She's fabulous. Yeah. Of course, you can watch Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever right now on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. All right, Lorraine, you know, I love me some Empire Magazine. They are pals and they're wonderful. And uh, I love print journalism. And this month, this week, they released their new issue, which has a huge, huge feature on Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Lots of sneaky peeky stuff in the new issue. There's a big deep dive into the film with lots of interviews, new looks at characters, the world, tons of cool stuff. Uh, of course, you can find the uh, the print issue at your you know better news agents and bookstores and stuff like that. But they also have a digital version of it, which is is wonderful. Go check it out, especially if you want to get some really cool first looks at Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. They do. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that film when it comes this summer. Also, more award season. Tis the season to be awarded. Um, the BAFTA Games Awards have nominated Marvel Snap for Best Game and EE Game of the Year this year. What an incredible honor for the whole team. Two big categories, Best Game <laughs> and EE Game of the Year. That's great. Yeah. Spicy. The BAFTA Game Awards are going to take place on Thursday, March 30th, and it's going to be live streamed exclusively on Twitch. So if you want to go over, check out marvel.com. You can get more details about the Twitch stream and where to watch and all that jazz. But it should be pretty darn cool. And if you're not playing Marvel Snap already, go download it on your mobile device and get playing. It is just one of the most delightful games. You can play a match in like two minutes. It It's a perfect game. All right, let's shift gears from games to the theme parks and such because Disneyland Paris has just unveiled an exclusive exhibition called Women of Marvel at Disney Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel. This is, of course, in time for Women's History Month. And it's a it's a brand new display at the hotel featuring some of the powerful women of Marvel. It features six different artists with their art spanning all across the Marvel Universe. The artists include Peach Momoko, Elena Casagrande, Stephanie Hans, Jen Bartel, Sarah Pakeli, and Natasha Bustos, which 
I mean, come on, some of the best artists in comics right now. This exhibition runs through April 20th. You'll be able to also hear interviews with the creators on an upcoming bonus episode of the Women of Marvel podcast. So stay tuned. Love that. Um, Also, fun fact, art for my book, Powers of a Girl by Alice X. Zhang, who is my incredible illustrator on that book. A bunch of her illustrations are also up in that hotel. I've I've had a couple of friends go to uh, Disney Hotel New York, the art of Marvel in Paris and have sent me uh, photos just like, look, (laughs) and it's very exciting. Yeah. All right. We got a bucket of new books coming and not just comic books, as we always do. We have a ton of comic books as well, but we have some uh, some fun books that are of the um, boundish variety. I like to call them bookie books. Bookie books. Oh, I like that. Bookie books. There is a Doctor Strange collection now out from Folio Society. Former editor-in-chief Roy Thomas uh, has selected and introduced 14 comics featuring the one and only Doctor Strange and some of his most iconic stories, including tales by folks like Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Brian K. Vaughn, Jason Aaron, the list goes on. And every tale is a ding-dang delight. And there's also some really amazing, accurate replications, including Strange Tales number 115 from 1963, in which it reveals Doctor Strange's true origin story. I love these early stories, too, because one, the costume is different. And two, it's like the sorcerer of dark magic. It's just good times. And if you guys aren't familiar with Folio Society, they are making some of the most beautiful books in the business. Really incredible reproductions. Really great additional info in those books. Definitely check it out if you are a Marvel fan. Um, We also have Marvel Heroines Silver Sable Payback, which is going to be available March 21st. Silver Sable is taking on Doctor Doom in a high-risk heist where success or failure will change the fate of the nation. And Sable is teaming up with Black Cat to take on old Victor Von Dum dum. So definitely go check it out. That is written by Kath Loria. And I love these Marvel Heroines books. They're really phenomenal. Uh, they're great novels and a great way to experience the Marvel stories um, in a different sort of format. And then we have the Marvel Value Stamps, a visual history book that is coming on March 28th from Abrams Books. And this is the story of the most inspired comic book promotion <laughs> campaign collected here for the first time. If you don't know, in 1974, Marvel Comics publisher Stan Lee, the one and only, devises ingenious promotional campaign, Marvel Value Stamps, which appeared on the letter pages of their monthly comics. So readers could cut out all 100 of these superhero and supervillain stamps, and then they could place them on a special mail order booklet. And once it was complete, these stamp books could then be redeemed for special discounts and exclusive merch. And the program was so successful that there was a second set that was released in 1975. And now for the first time, these original stamp book stamps and all of the surrounding ephemera and resource material are collected into one incredible volume for collectors and fans. This is just like a really cool, fun thing. I think this is like such a, just like a classic Stanley move and something really unique and original. It's got a a beautiful cover by Alex Ross. Lots more info on that on Marvel.com as well as these other books. Go check them out. March is a great month for books. Yeah. The value stamp book is a really interesting one to me because I have no connection to it. Like I know it existed, but it was, it was before, before my you were time. born. So um, <laughs> but but I'm fascinated by it and I'm I'm actually really curious about checking out the book and getting a sense of how it all came together, why it was done, all seeing all the stamps. Cause I've seen copies of books from the seventies with the stamp pages, like cut up because people were taking the stamps. And so mm-hmm. it's a really fascinating thing. Hopefully uh, all y'all check it out as well. All right. Let's shift over and talk about role-playing. You know, I know some of you like to take your Star-Lord role-playing to the next level. Think about that, everybody. And Hasbro unveiled a new Marvel Legends series Star-Lord electronic role-play helmet, a one-to-one scale reproduction of Star-Lord's helmet as it appears throughout its appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It features movie-accurate sculpting and detailing across the helmet with obviously movie-inspired light and sound effects. It is available this spring. Hey! Spring starts next week. Get ready for that. Uh, It's going to be for $131.99 across most major retailers. So save up your pennies. Get you a Star-Lord helmet if you really want to role play properly. Yeah. I mean, Hasbro has made some really cool life-size 
to scale reproduction helmets like this. Like they did one for Black Panther and one for Iron Man. Um, and this one is going to be just as cool. Also, just like great for a cosplay. If you want a, a good San Diego Comic-Con costume, baby, get you a helmet. All right. Moving on. Captain America Cold War. It's getting chilly, even though it's spring. There is a new trailer over on Marvel.com. Gird your loins. It is time. Uh, we we actually talked about this at New York Comic Con for our twin panel. And now it is all finally coming to fruition. We're going to see Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson team up to stop their bestie, Bucky Barnes, and the White Wolf. There's a new trailer, as I mentioned, which also shows them alongside their allies, Sharon Carter and Misty Knight, who, if you aren't following the, like, Sam Mistiness of it all, so you're missing good. out. Great relish. Well, they take on the Outer Circle, uh, so that's going to be super exciting to see. This has been a long time coming. Um, they've been building to this in both of the Captain America se series, one featuring Sam, one featuring Steve. Um, and it's all tying together and you don't want to miss it. It comes out on April 12th. Go watch the trailer now over on Marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel and get ready because it's going to be a big one. This week on Marvel's Voices, Angelique is talking to Will Tay, the production designer of Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And it's a ding-dang delight. Let's take a little listen. Early in my career, I saw other people who were just going out of their minds, working every hour that was there. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it takes people to sort of stand up and say, hang on a second, this is this is not right. We can, we can still do great work, but we can just do it in a better way. Episodes of Marvel's Voices are out every Thursday. You can listen to them on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So go check it out. Yeah. Also with the podcasts, we've got Marvel's Pull List this week, which is, of course, my show all about Marvel comics that I co-host. And we've got new picks for issues on sale this week. Avengers Forever number 15, Immoral, X-Men number two, Captain America, Symbol of Truth number 11, some good books there. And for our reading club, writer Alyssa Wong is uh, on the show to talk about Deadpool the Gauntlet, a.k.a. Oh. Dracula's Gauntlet. Good story. So um, fun. Yeah, introduces. What a fun book. Yeah. There's a minotaur on like a little bike at some point. It's great. Yeah, a symbiote minotaur. It's a wild ride and uh, introduce Shikla, Deadpool's yes. wife, and a whole bunch of characters. And then um, you could also hear us talk about Alyssa's own writing on their current Deadpool book. For my Deadpool run, I originally pitched this um, to Jordan, the editor, as... Um, a body horror rom-com um oh my God, <laughs> like a shoujo romance like rom-com i i don't know and he was super down with it um which i was surprised by but it's been really fun so far yes that's a little snippet you can hear more on the episode uh new episodes of marvel's pull list out every tuesday listen on the sirius xm app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts all right and a quick reminder that Marvel Insider Code is coming to you very soon, uh, so stick around. Plus, we have Ryan's chat with C.B. Sobolski, the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, you're listening to This Week of Marvel. I continue to be Lorraine. I think I'm still Ryan. Great. So we're ready to go. We did it. Let's get into things again because, yeah, Lorraine, there's a lot going on this year at Marvel and therefore a lot to celebrate. There's mm. no better person to give us a rundown of all the cool things coming up in 2023 than Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sabolsky. Let's listen to my chat with him right now. C.B. Sabolski, welcome back to the show. Can you remind us, what is your Marvel origin story? How'd you first become a fan? I was, uh, started reading my first X-Men comic when I was six years old. I hated going to the barber. I hated getting my hair cut. I would always cry when I got into the chair. My grandfather took me one afternoon to this little five and dime that is actually still there in my hometown and said, just pick any comic you want. I picked out whatever looked cool. It was an X-Men comic. Sat me in the chair. I read the comic. 
And from that day forward, I looked forward to going to the barber because I knew if he took me and I think like I was going to cry, he would get me a cop. <laughs> nice. Never stopped reading the X-Men ever since. So. Yeah, which is good. We're going to be talking about X-Men and other stuff today. But specifically, we wanted to have you on because 2023 has got some big anniversaries this year. We're going to go through some of the anniversaries, particularly what we can expect from you and the team at Marvel Comics, sure. and also maybe some of your favorite memories and, and whatever comes to mind when you think about these characters, these events events, these books, whatever it is. So with that in mind, we're going to start with one of the big ones, the 60th anniversary of the Avengers. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. It's a big one. We've got a lot of stuff going on, of course, toys and consumer products to just characters and, and things everywhere. But for Marvel, we've got a brand new Avengers number one coming soon. Yep. It's uh, Jed McKay and Sia Via covers by Stuart Eminent coming back to Marvel. We're super excited about it. You know, Jason Aaron had a historic run on the book. Everything he did for Avengers and Avengers Forever leading up to Avengers Omega, which is coming out later this year. Everything he's introduced there, all those alternative versions of, of the characters, you know, the Avengers from 1 million BC. But, you know, as expansive as his run is, he's bringing it to a close. Jed is taking over and kind of going in a different direction, refocusing the Avengers back on a core team. I think fans have seen and they're going to know and Love some of the beloved characters, and they're going to be, you know, more earthbound this time around, not dimension spanning, you know, multiverse spanning, focusing on the Marvel Universe proper, um, you know, protecting Earth and the surrounding galaxy, which we all inhabit. And I'm really excited. Jed's been doing some kick butt work uh, across all the books that he's been on. I mean, his Moon Knight is just spectacular. Just relaunched Strange, taking him in a different direction. Fans are clamoring more for more Jed McKay, so we're going to give it to him with Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah, great team. Like you mentioned, we've got, oh, let's see, that squad is Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, and Vision. Captain Marvel, and then Scarlet Witch and Vision, we have back on a team together. We'll see how that's going to play. Ooh, we like all that. Yeah, uh, yeah Captain Marvel leading the team, which mm -hmm. is fun. Correct. You know, we mentioned Jed. Jed's been doing great work for so many years. So much fun. He's got that great Marvel balance of drama and action, adventure, humor. He feels almost like lab built in terms of what he brings. Yeah. And the thing I love about Jed so much is that he is such a hardcore fan, like so many of us. And every single one of his books has some random throwback to another character or some moment or some story that you probably had forgotten, but Jed never did. And he'll bring back that Easter egg. And sometimes fans will notice it'll, it'll build into something different. So um, Black Cat in his run especially, it was riddled with all kinds of fun nods to Felicia's past and her relationships and everything that she went that most people had forgotten, but not Jed. And the same thing is going to be happening in Avengers. Some of the stuff he brings back, some of the characters he uses and the villains and the relationships that he forms are definitely fan-worthy uh, experiences. Yeah. You know, in your many roles at Marvel over the years, one of them was, you know, on the talent team, heading up talent relations and working with artists. And so we've got a great artist here with CF Via. Yeah. You know, we have now the Stormbreakers program, which previously was the Young Guns program, which is our way of identifying and letting fans know, like, who are the top talents in the industry that you should be keeping an eye on? People that Marvel have invested in creatively to make sure that we have the best talent globally on our books. And CF Via came out of that program, you know, so, you know, a lot of people, of course, know the household names, you know, the Olivier Coipel, Steve McNiven, Pepe Larraz, you know, CF Via is on that path. You know, he's, he's since graduated from the Stormbreakers. He was in the first class. We just had been moving him up the, the ladder from projects. He worked with Jed on Black Cat. And then when we were trying to cast the Avengers book, you know, there was Jed said, let's go to CF. He takes storytelling to another level, too. So when people start seeing his pages and his double page spreads and the way he can take multiple characters and walk them through these stories so clearly and so succinctly and so beautifully, I think that, you know, people are going to just be like, check anything CFB buys for the future. I'm in for the ride. Yeah. And then you mentioned him, Stuart Eminent, who's just one of the greatest artists of all time. Just Yeah. No. And, you know, Stuart brings something to everything that he does. Um, you know, everything his pencil touches is something special. Sometimes, you know, people love to do homages or covers can get repetitive, but not Stuart. He's just a guy whose mind works in different ways, and he just comes up with interesting designs. And multiple character covers are hard, especially when it comes to the Avengers. You think back on some of the classic characters, you think you've, you've seen it on everything you can do with the layouts one. But nope, Stuart comes in and he just like, here's a sketch. You're like, wow, that's just amazing. It's going to just jump off the stands. And he just turned in a 
cover for the third issue that goes in a completely different direction, but it's another one of those ones like, wait, what? Very exciting. We're going to talk to Jed on the show soon, too. So we'll, we'll get more from him. But what was your Avengers origin story? Do you remember how you first were like, oh, the Avengers? I remember the way I got into Avengers, and I don't remember the issue number, but I always love when they did this. And it's kind of what we do with the Hellfire Gala now every year, but they always had that, who will be the next Avengers team? And it was just boxes with multiple choices, and this was a mm-hmm. cover. They had a red top, and it was just a number of different squares with people you could pick, like, who are going to be the next Avengers team? Moon Knight was on there, and oh, but you're like, wait, these people can't be Avengers, you know? <laughs> and that was what got me. It was, it was around the time, it might have been a George Perez time, when Beast and Wonder Man were really prominently featured as part of the team. I was never a full-time reader of Avengers. Eventually I was, of course. But, you know, when you had money, I always, like you said, spent on X-Men first, you know, would later, uh, you know, pick other stuff. And it was always those, who will be the next Avengers team that got me to keep coming back on that book. Nice. You mentioned Beast and Wonder Man. That's one of those things that I always think about when I think about, for whatever reason, they like pop into my head because you got Avengers, you got the duos, you know, Scarlet Witch and Vision, Beast and Wonder Man, that kind of stuff. But, you know, for you, what are your favorite Avengers lineups, team ups, villains, stories? What really gets you? I think my favorite Avengers story, I've got two, actually. One is Avengers Forever. I love that series. The late, great Carlos Pacheco on artwork. He just brought those characters to life in such a beautiful way. And the story that that Kurt told of this alternate kind of adventure, you know, alternate universe adventure that they went on always sticks with me. The way that he was able to humanize that cast and put them in through the ringer and still have them, you know, win the day, but not without loss really sits with me. Mm-hmm. And then I always liked Avengers Disassembled. I mean, that I'm speaking personally on that too, because you know, we were at Marvel at that point, And I remember the creative meetings we went through and how we were going to, what we were going to do with the Avengers at that point and what Brian had come up with and that first classic David Finch cover and the way we took them through that story. And then what happened in, um, in House of M with them as well, the way that Olivia Quintel just, you know, breathed such beautiful life into those characters and the, the heartbreaking story that that was, particularly for Wanda who was one of my favorite Avengers. And again, there's the mutant connection there. There's the mutant connection of B, so we can see the X-Men kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my love for Avengers. But, you know, those for me were two really special series or, or runs. What about villains? Spider-Man gets this, rightfully so, the sort of rep for having this really amazing rogues gallery. And yeah. the X-Men have incredible villains. But the Avengers, they also have a really wild, big swath of villains to pull from. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of my favorite villains for the Avengers, too, have carryover across the Marvel Universe into other medium. High Evolutionary, I always thought was a great one. I love some of the times that they went up against him. But of course, Kang, I mean, you know, fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are just getting to know him through the amazing performances of, of, of Jonathan Majors. But, you know, Kang was a character, has so many different facets to him, was able to be used in so many different ways, particularly given his powers and the time travel and what he could do and how he could affect the Avengers in the past, present, and future always made for interesting stories for me when handled correctly. I love time travel stories to begin with, and the way that so many different writers and artists have used Kang and the Avengers that he's pulled the Avengers in on were just fascinating for me. Yeah, for sure. Celebrating some other sort of under the Avengers umbrella, some other anniversaries include Vision, 55 years, mm-hmm. 55 years for that guy. Yeah, from that that first appearance too, with that classic cover. Oof. We've done so much with the Vision of late. Jed's going to be really taking and doing something with the character that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. The relationship with Wanda is something fans really fondly remember. And it, it's something that me personally, I want to get back to. I have specific thoughts about romance and marriage and children and everything in comics, uh, for better or worse, in some fans' minds. But when it comes to Juan and Vision, they were together when I was growing up. And, you know, what is love between a synthetic human and Scarlet Witch a human was just fascinating to see so many different writers and artists explore. And I'm glad we're going to be getting back to it. Yeah. Also, you already mentioned it, but it's the 25th anniversary of Avengers Forever this year. Yes, it is. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Carlos is not here to celebrate with us, but I think we've got a couple things planned. And, you know, it's just one of those stories that people always go back to and that Jason paid uh, respect to in his run on the book. And it's just hard to believe and look back. It's been 25 years. But, you know, it's one of those stories that stands the test of time. Yeah. It's really good. It's really freaking good. If anybody who's listening has not read it yet, please. It's on Marvel Unlimited. It's 12 issues. It is going to knock your socks off. 
All right, let's shift gears, talk about our favorites, the X-Men, because it's also the X-Men's 60th anniversary. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Just think about 1963. See, yeah. the, all the stuff we got from there. Yeah. Six years, and then I've been reading X-Men for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And then the next two-thirds of the existence of the X-Men. <laughs> like, I know them better than most of my friends at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just look at, of course, what Chris Claremont did. For me, I came in on the Claremont Burn stuff, and then Claremont Paul Smith, which is one of my absolute favorites. And then John Jr., who was drawing them back then, and now he's still the number one selling artist in the industry on Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. It's like, I think Tom Greenwood said, he's the only artist we're selling masterworks of at the same time we're selling <laughs> copies of these comics. But the X-Men is the ultimate soap opera. It's why we love it. You know, feared and hated. There's always been a POV character. For me, it was Kitty. For other people, it's Jubilee. Now X-23 has brought so many new fans into that world through their eyes. I should speak for hours about X-Men, Ryan. Yeah, of course. To, to limit down all my memories of, of so much of those beloved stories. Yeah, let's think about that. Obviously, we got your your origin story with the X-Men, and, and that is really your origin story for comics, which is, that's a connection piece for so many people in one way, shape, or form with the X-Men. I know a lot of people, it's the animated series, yeah. which was really important. That's 30 years this year, but that's so important as well. Yeah. No, and you know, I, I could look back on X-Men and just start with, you know, the issues that I love and declare my burn and mm-hmm. go into, you know, the, the stuff that Paul Smith did. And that's the second Dark Phoenix saga with Maddie Pryor to X-Men 181 Young Dragons in Love to, you know, issue 201 where Storm and Cyclops fought, the Barry Windsor Smith stuff in Life Death, you know, Sylvestri, Jim Lee, my God, Age of Apocalypse, you know, everything going forward, the Grant and, and Frank Quietly run. I feel bad I'm going to be leaving people out sure. here and list stuff. But, you know, there's so many different memories of X-Men and from different points in my life. I think that's what's so important, too. You know, with comics, sometimes you always remember the time and the place in your life when you read that comic and how it affected you. And it affects you differently when you read it years later. Reading X-Men, especially a lot of the, the reprints that are coming out recently, are taking me back. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with where we took the X-Men, you know, during our tenure here, you know, from from what we did with X-Men Blue and Gold to then what Ed Brisson and Matt Rosenberg and Kelly Thompson did leading up to with Hickman and, and R.B. Silva and, and Pepe Larraz. So everything that's going on now, the I mean, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red, Jerry Douglas, X-Men, Al, you know, uh, Kieran, firing on all cylinders. The X-Men is, is just fantastic. And if people aren't reading Sins of Sinister, which is such a good book, it's so crazy and so heady, but it's so much X-Men at its core with the romance and the time travel and the alternate versions and, and the, the ringer that Sinister's putting them through, just like Apocalypse and Magneto and every other villain has put the X-Men through. It's not to be missed. One of the things I love about Sins of Sinister, because I was reading Immoral X-Men yesterday, the second issue of that, and that's set the 100 years after Sinister's big takeover and stuff. But the way, because we do three issues in a different time period, everybody's taking big swings and telling big things and like letting... Like, there's no tomorrow. We are just going full force. And it feels like every page turn is like a, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, which is really fun. And what Sai's doing and telling, you know, with that Nightcrawler's book and telling a heist over the course of a thousand years. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So good. I was also thinking about the X-Men kind of being the first real big franchise for comics, you know, because... You have the X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, but then it spins out into the New Mutants. And we get Wolverine getting solo title. And we get classic X-Men, which does reprints, but also fills in gaps and extra stories. And then we're getting all like the annuals and tie-ins and different things and miniseries and stuff. Like the world of X-Men is so expansive. And I've heard from some of our listeners and various people, it's like, I don't know where to start. But kind of the perfect thing is there are so many places to start and so many ways to get in. And the other thing about the X-Men too, is you find those characters you love and you could follow them in different ways. We would love if you read everything, but you don't have to, you know, there's an X-Men story out there. That's right for everyone. There's an X-Men character that everyone can associate with on specific levels. And, you know, they're feared and hated, so to speak, but they are so beloved and embraced as well that everyone should be an X-Men fan. Yeah. It's a hard question. Do you have a favorite, X-Men villain. Favorite X-Men villain. I'm going to go with Sabretooth. Ooh. Just because he is, he's more of a Wolverine villain, obviously, but he's been involved in some of the big 
X-Men Adventures, gone toe-to-toe with some of the best of them. So I always loved Sabretooth and technically not villains, so to speak, but they were at one point. Uh, Callisto and the Morlocks, for me, were when, when there was that tunnel adventure with Storm and Angel and everything happened down uh, down under New York City that just, uh, I, I've always loved Callisto because she lives in that gray area and the Morlocks were such visually interesting and complicated characters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about you? My head automatically goes to Apocalypse, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of, of just the weight of his presence, especially, you know, in the eighties and nineties, it was just felt so like terrifying and cool and big, but it's hard because I think I love Mojo and I love the tone of, of any story that Mojo's in. I love strife because, you know, for me coming in reading in the late eighties and then the early nineties and like that character and the drama around him was so important to me. And, and sinister, I think has done, I think sinister was a great character and only in the last 15 years, we've seen that he's even elevated so much higher from everything Kieran did, what, like 10 years ago to now, everything that the team's doing. And he's had that plan in his head the whole time, knowing that's where he wanted to go if he had the opportunity. And that's what's so cool about it. Oh, so good. So good. It's hard to pick any specific favorites because you can look at so many and it's like, what do I feel like today? That's my favorite today. We mentioned some of the Sins of Sinister stuff, but let's talk about what's in store for the X-Men in 2023. We started with Dark Web early in the year. I love that story, introduced a bunch of new characters and different things, but really changed some stuff, which was cool. Yeah. And, you know, we had that going into now we're in Sins of Sinister, Mm -hmm. uh, which is definitely going to have repercussions leading into the Hellfire Gala, which we had the X-Men vote recently. And, you know, we're going to be introducing the new team there. and. The Hellfire Gala is really going to set the stage for a lot of what's going to happen across the end of the year for the X-Men. As we know, uh, you know it's going to be a fall of X, uh, which we, we've talked about a little. We can't talk about more. It's the, that whole line, the, the spoilers, no spoilers, such a fine line to walk. But big things have happened in the previous two Hellfire Galas. Even bigger things happened in this one. And this is the one that people are going to be really surprised by, I think, and where the issue sets the X-Men on a completely different path. Still on Krakoa. This is still part of that original Hickman plan. Uh, you know, the people that started with Jonathan on this path are continuing with it. And some of the stuff that he set up in House of X and Powers of Ten are going to be playing out here. There was that great, I think it was House of X 3, where Nightcrawler sacrificed himself. They were up on the Orcus satellite. Now I'm forgetting exactly how it played out at this point. But that all comes back. Like, I remember that was one of the comics that made me cry in most recent memory. And that's one that is going to be coming back to play a very big part in what we have planned going forward for the X-Men line. Also within the X-Men sort of anniversary sphere, Mystique's 45th anniversary. Yeah. And, oh boy, Mystique's an interesting one. You know, her and Destiny have been playing such an integral part in everything that's been going on in Krakoa and the lives of the X-Men with Moira and Charles. And Psy has been doing some very fun things with them as well. And we just, just, just approved a storyline. I think that will be one of the big buzz books uh, at the end of this year. And it is a mystique story. It is something that people aren't going to expect. It's something that goes back to her origin. We're going that far back. Uh, We're talking about Jed going back and looking side. He's been a fan of mystique forever and has gone back and has identified something. This has never really been explored before. We should go back and look at this. And has big, big implications for her, for Destiny, and for a lot of the other uh, X-Men that's going to be playing out at the end of Fall of X at the end of this year. Love a tease like that. Very exciting. Please do not do anything to hurt Destiny and Mystique. They make me so happy seeing them together. All right. Lots of other anniversaries. You know, this year's the 25th anniversary of Marvel Knights. So Christopher Priest run on Black Panther, Daredevil by Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada. Those are so important now thinking about where we are as Marvel. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, when I first came on as editor-in-chief, it was the 20th anniversary of Marvel Knights, and here we are five years later. And uh, we have been talking to Priest, to Joe, to Jimmy Palmiotti, to a lot of the uh, original architects of those, not just the original four books, but some of the later Marvel Knights stuff. Some of the more modern creators have such a wonderful memory of a lot of those books and what was built at that time that we will be celebrating the Marvel Knights 25th anniversary in a very special way later this year in print, but also in a couple of events and some things we have planned for uh, a couple of the the conventions later this year as well. Nice. You know, it's interesting being in comics and the industry and around all this for so long, seeing what's influenced us and what we found important, and then watching new generations of creators like 
how important New X-Men was and how that's affecting some of our younger creators and how much Marvel Knights is affecting creators and how much, you know, you were talking about Avengers Disassembled and, and all of the stuff that Brian has done. It's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And the timing, when I keep hearing 60, you know, it's the 60th anniversary of the Avengers and the X-Men. It's the 20th anniversary of Marvel Knights. It's putting myself... I don't feel that old. Let's put it that way. You know, <laughs> yeah. I feel that it, we're dating our comics, but in a way we're dating ourselves. Yeah. And time flies like that. Yeah. I wish I lived in Peter Parker Marvel time sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got the 30th anniversary of Marvels, which, you know, we've done some cool stuff for the 25th anniversary of Marvels, but it's a timeless book, of course. Yeah. And, you know, I still remember when that book came out, how groundbreaking it was, how it really changed the industry, the impact that Alex had on just the style of comics and how many more painted comics came out after it. The way that that kind of man on the street storytelling became the norm for a little bit too. Like, you know, the characters that Kurt created to tell that story about characters that everybody knew and loved, but the way that it all clicked together. Uh, Tom Brieber was just telling this story over the weekend. We went to visit Ralph Macchio, the former Marvel editor, not the Karate Kid. And Tom was telling how um, Kurt and Alex had the pieces, but weren't sure about how to format the story. Like, how are we going to tell this story that we have? They couldn't get the, the kind of through line. They were out one day with Tom DeFalco and Tom listened to it all and said, here's what you got to do. Tell it as a narrative. Tell it as the man on the street. Really, he helped them find the through line for that story, which again, we'll probably be hearing more of as we celebrate that anniversary we're coming up with, with some interviews and some fun stuff that I know will be planned. Kurt Busiek, so good. We've mentioned him a couple of times. Alex Ross still doing amazing cover work for us. Here's one that blew me away. 15 years since the beginning of Secret Invasion. Yeah, and I still remember being a part of that too when we came up with the Who Can You Trust campaign mm -hmm. and those amazing Greg Horn covers. The Lanila Yu promo piece was incredible and just the way that that story played out and it kept people guessing. It was at a time too where we could still kind of keep secrets and spoilers <laughs> in. And the, the whole Spider-Woman part of that was a very big, I remember there being a lot of contention over that, what we were going to do with Jessica Drew and who's a scroll and who's not and the debates we had and the votes we had and some of the retreats about who was going to be revealed and, and who got approved and who didn't. Yeah, those are good. Nick Fury is celebrating 60 years this year, and I think we have a Fury anniversary book coming soon. Yeah, right? beautiful. It's an anthology book telling uh, periods across Nick's life, his World War two days to the current Nick Fury that we all know and love and just kind of exploring the different facets of his life and the different time frames by different writers and artists who are just Adam Kubert covered. And then, you know, the creator list that Tom has put together really runs the gamut of some of the top talents that have worked on Nick in the past and some new writers and artists who have not yet worked on Nick Fury who wanted the opportunity to add their take on, on Marvel's spy master. Nice. Blade has 50th anniversary this year. We've got a really great new book with Bloodline, Daughter of Blade. Daughter of Blade. There's a lot happening in the Unforgiven book that Tim Seeley is writing for us. There's a lot happening with vampires in Moon Knight. And let's just say we have not forgotten that it's Blade 50th anniversary and that all these projects are coming out for a reason. It may just be building to something bigger. Hint, mm. hint, wink, mm. wink. Devil Dinosaur, 45th anniversary this year. We've got the, the great cartoon and a book for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. The show is so wonderful. The series that we're putting out now in print is just a, a wonderful encapsulation of everything that makes her so cool. And Devil, the constant sidekick, the loyal companion, a character who's been around for ages that everybody knows, getting another breath of life in, in this day and age. It's, it's just wonderful to see the the longevity. Everybody has their favorite characters. Everybody has their least favorite characters. But I was taught at the beginning when I started in Marvel editorial was there are no bad characters. Everybody has a favorite character and every character can be written beautifully given the care that, you, that the writer can put into it. And what Mark Panisha had originally come up with in resurrecting, you know, Devil Dinosaur with Moon Girl and the way that, that the longevity that that book has, you know, just speaks to the testament of the creative talent that have, have worked on those characters. Yeah, we got two Spidey-related anniversaries, both darker side. One is Doc Ock, yeah. 60th anniversary of Doc Ock, which is amazing. One of the, the great villains of our company, but also the 50th anniversary of the death of Gwen Stacy is this year. Yep. A shout out to, of course, everyone who worked on Doc Ock over the years, of course. But the Zeb Wells Doc Ock origin book, if people haven't read it, you should definitely go and check that out. Mm -hmm. Such a heartbreaking and tragic tale there, but Zeb really, really, really nailed it. And um, 
the ever controversial death of Gwen Stacy. I've heard all the sides of the debate about her death, about her importance to Peter versus his love of Mary Jane, but 50 years, you know, there's so many urban legends and myths and everything about that scene, about the art, about the way it was written, about where Stan was, about what Stan felt. And we will be addressing some of that, not only in Amazing Spider-Man later this year, but also we have something else coming out planned for the anniversary that will be looking at that scene, that death, that critical moment in Peter's life in a special comic you'll be seeing later in the fall. The Doc Ock book is Spider-Man Dr. Octopus Year One, if anyone wants to go read that. It's, it's real good. You mentioned it. We have a new series for Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange's 60th anniversary new series written by Jed McKay, which is going to be wild and weird and cool. Yeah. Doctor Strange had a rough 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say the least. He shuffled off this mortal plane and with the help of Clea, his, his eternal love has brought himself back and has taken up the mantle of the Sorcerer Supreme again. Magic is such a, an ethereal concept in the Marvel Universe. I love that Jed is able to take it and through Strange kind of put some limits on it and explain it. It feels more grounded to me as part of what the Marvel Universe really should be. And where he is taking Steven and Clea and Wong and Bats and all the rest of those <laughs> wonderful characters, the menagerie of animals that live in the, in the Sanctum Sanctorum. I, I, get, I hate to spoil it there. I, <laughs> no, that's good. I, I, I love a good tease. That's good. reading because what him and Darren Shan, the editor of the book, have been working on is the next chapter in, in Stephen Strange's adventures that are going to make people go, wait, what? Ooh, I like that. We've got a new series for the Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously a new movie coming out. It's their 55th anniversary, and, and we've got a, just a thing that we know is coming is Groot Fall. Groot Fall. Yeah, Groot Fall, you know, and um, fans have hopefully seen some of the, the promo stuff that we've been putting out for this. It's a different take on the Guardians. Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are two of our, our up-and-coming writers now. They've been doing really great things, starting with what they did on Kang and what they've been doing on Captain America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they bring their kind of flair and a different perspective to the Guardians of the Galaxy, a little bit of a Western lens, but Western stories tend to be a little bit smaller. You know, you think about the Dust Bowls and the small towns and the, the high noon shootouts and things like that. And this series has everything but on a galactic scale, on a cosmic scale. People have noticed that Rocket and Groot have not really been in the picture outside of the name Grootfall and want to see fans figure out where they have been. Because it's been a while since the Guardians have played a big role in the Marvel comic book universe in the 616. It's going to be mind-blowing. CB, we have many more anniversaries. Maybe we'll pick this up again for another anniversary conversation a little bit later in the year, maybe a little halfway point, and talk about some more that we got going on. But always appreciate you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity, as always, to come back and talk on This Week in Marvel. There is so much more exciting stuff. We got through a little bit of it. A lot more to come. Sounds good. See you, see. It's always so wonderful to hear from CB and hear all the things there are to celebrate in 2023. We need that joy. Bring us that serotonin. Can't wait for it. Um, of course, you can keep up with all of our milestones and anniversaries over on Marvel.com and here on This Week in Marvel. You like how I did that? You're welcome. Well done. All right. Next week, we're also going to have a great week because we're going to have on Mackenzie Lee, writer of Winter Soldier Cold Front, a new wonderful YA novel. Um, you might also know Mackenzie Lee's work from like the Loki novels or the Gamora and Nebula novels that she's created. She's phenomenal. But I think the tippity top of our minds this week has to be the X-Men. Yeah. And with that, our question of the week is, Ryan, what we got? So I was thinking about anniversaries and the traditional 60th anniversary gift mm -hmm. is something diamonds, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So with the Avengers, X-Men, Doctor Strange, the Wasp, and Nick Fury all celebrating 60 years this year, I think a fun question of the week would be, to whom are you giving that big rock? Who are you giving that bling to? I just want to see Nick Fury wearing a big diamond necklace like so many people were at the Oscars this past weekend. So that's where my heart is. It has nothing to do with merit. Just I want to see it. I like the idea of like Nick Fury, 1983, just rocking like some a big diamond necklace. To, like a turtleneck like and a big diamond oh, necklace. So turtleneck yeah, and chain. Be, Let's do it. He'd be great. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, an easy answer. You can give some diamonds to Emma Frost and then she'd be like, I'm already diamond, darling. Boom. And then she would just like smack you. With her mind. Blah. 
so many great anniversaries. Also, Blade is going to be have his 50th, I 50th. think, this year. So what's, we've got all the anniversaries covered. Well, for 50th anniversary, the traditional gift is gold. Oh, give Blade a gold sword. Or you can give him a gold grill to put on his... Uh, his, on his fangs? On his fangs. <laughs> Why not? I love it. That's so silly, man. I love it. Let's do it. Yeah. If you want to answer the question with uh, what gold you would give to Blade, we want to hear that too. Yes. And of course, you can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twinpodcasts at marvel.com or send us a message over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, as always, tell us if it's okay to read in your message so we know if we can read it here on the show. Yeah, which we're going to do as we talk about last week's question of the week, which was in the X-Men's last exceptional 60 years, what mutant characters have meant the most to you and why? Because it's time for this week in what? This week in messages. Messages? Messages! Starting with Lord Jason Kirby at Lord Jason K, who tweeted, Scott Summers, he was the first disciple, but never afraid to question Xavier and forge his own path. He's made mistakes and he owns them, except for Madeline. He will always give his all for mutant kind. Great strategist, not great at relationships. Scott is the X-Men. Interesting choice. Wow. Jason Kirby. Moving on, we have Emma Talks Comics at Emma Talks Comics, who said, Emma Frost is everything I aspire to be in life and played a key role in helping me realize I was a trans woman. And Key Pride has been a brilliantly and continuously developed character for over 40 years and is one of the biggest Jewish heroes. Love that. Yeah. Love, love, love that. Caroline Cosplay at Caroline Cosplay says, Quanon, she has a tragic story, but still she pushes on. She constantly strives to improve her skills. She was one of the few Asian characters in the 90s who wasn't a kid sidekick, submissive girlfriend, or evil villain. Uh, Caroline, that's a great choice, especially in the mm. last couple of years we've seen Quanon, uh, who many will also think of as Psylocke. Uh, Quanon has had just such a great sort of uh, revival. In the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So good. Definitely. All right. Next up, we got Sam at Sam 9329537, who said, I think Wolverine and Professor X. The reason Wolverine, because he was the first mutant I've heard of, he's such a great character, and Hugh Jackman did a brilliant job portraying him. For Professor X, what I like about him is he's a mentor and guide to the X-Men. Hmm. I like it. Uh, the Kawaii Prince at Colin J said, hi, babes, still here and listening. <laughs> when I was younger, I would have said Wolverine. However, as an adult, Emma Frost is my fave mutant. She just serves on every panel she's on. <laughs> a true icon, a legend, a queen. Uh, always good to hear from you, Colin. Eliza Ian at Mandy Lay said, magic, because her overall story is so touching and heartbreaking. I fell in love with the X-Men as a kid because of Gambit, but it was Ileana that took my heart. Also Polaris because she simply is just trying her best, but her life keeps telling her no. Oh, poor poor Polaris. She's like, can you be my dad? No? Okay. Um, And also so many other things. Polaris has had like a good turnaround the last couple of years too. She's gotten um, some great moments and she shines. She's been in the Captain Marvel book and the X-Men. Yeah. She's so good. Hunter Taylor at Hunter Taylor 345 says, Iceman has always been my favorite. When I was young, I didn't know much about the character. And the more I learn about him, the more his character becomes my favorite X-Men character. He's an Omega level mutant. I would love to have his power. Yeah. All right. We got an email here from Ken Campbell that said, my all time favorite X-Men characters of the past 60 years are colon Wolverine, Phoenix, Storm, Shadowcat. Really wish Kitty still went by her code name. All right. We got an email from Heather in Heather said it's 1997. I'm in second grade and my parents just told me they're getting divorced after a tumultuous try to make things work. I need to be brave like Rogue. Against my mom's media rules, I've been sneaking episodes of X-Men the Animated Series at the neighbor's house as nothing that wasn't Disney is forbidden. Oh, the irony. And I've been impacted in a profound way by the allusions to Gambit. I know. Sorry, Ryan. Trying to win Rogue. I've never seen romance like that in real life. And I clung to their idea of romance watching my parents' relationship die. 
As an adult, I see how toxic their relationship is and how tragically ironic it was that I compared them to my parents in hopes that he would be kind and she would be brave. Kelly Thompson's 2018 Mr. and Mrs. is everything I needed to heal my inner child. I'm grateful Nolan gets every romantic wish he wants from a healthy relationship with Billy and Teddy. Oh, Heather. The feelings. Thank you, Heather. You and the kids are the best. All right. We got an email here next from Joe Hoffman that says, hi, Lorraine, Ryan, and James. I hope you're all having a great week in Marvel. And I'm just going to read some highlights here. Uh, In answer to this week's question of the week, Kitty Pride is the ex-person who has meant the most to me over the years. When I was a kid growing up with a subscription to Uncanny X-Men, Kitty was one of my first crushes and a big one at that. I still have a very big place in my heart for Miss Pride today. And I really love reading about her being a pirate captain in the Marauders. (laughs) I'm also really enjoying reading the new run of Extreme X-Men by Chris Claremont, where Kitty is a central character. Your friend and faithful ambassador, Joe. We've got a bunch of messages from Mihika Garg. I know you uh, wanted to answer about your favorite young hero being Ms. Marvel. You said everything about her, from her obsession of Marvel to her suit, to her culture and family, her personality, her powers, absolutely everything about her character is such an inspiration to an Indian girl like myself. I love the comic version as well as the MCU portrayal. Carol emailed about the X-Men saying, Honestly, the mutant that means the most to me out of every single mutant out there is Wolverine. He was one of the characters that I first learned about in Marvel, and he helped usher me into this universe. I have these vague memories of watching the 90s X-Men show when I was a kid and just being fascinated by his costume and his claws and the gruff way he spoke, but the tender way he treated everyone. And even today, watching that show, that's still something I notice. There's something about him that looks so monstrous, but he has such a kind heart and he really genuinely cares about people. He honestly reminds me not to judge people too harshly because you never know what someone might be going through. Wolverine forever. All right, we got a message here on our Facebook that said, Lorraine Sink, I just saw the new video on Marvel HQ for Captain Marvel and her rad new Mechasaur binary. Please tell me this is a toy I can buy soon? So cool. Captain Marvel with Mechasaur binary is what those in the know would call toyetic, baby. (laughs) Shout out to anyone who gets the Freakazoid reference. Thanks, y'all. Good Gamora boy. Thank you so much for your message. Yay, everybody. If you haven't already, head over to Marvel HQ's YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Marvel HQ and watch some of our new Marvel's Avengers Mech Strike Mechasaurs videos. They're super awesome. It's really cool. Captain Marvel has a Mechasaur, which is essentially a robot dinosaur. It's like a pterodon named Binary. It's super duper cool. I highly recommend you check it out. No spoilers. I can't tell you yet what might be coming in the merch world, but I'm not saying that you won't be getting some Mechasaur merch. Um, so we'll we'll definitely keep you posted here on This Week of Marvel uh, and of course on Marvel.com and of course on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel. Go subscribe if you haven't already. Um, we're making tons of great stuff. YouTube.com slash Marvel HQ. I also wanted to uh, make a mention that I was a guest this week on the X-Men Reads podcast, which is uh, a lot of fun. It was episode 96. We talked about Uncanny X-Men 297, which is one of my favorite Uncanny X-Men issues. It is the epilogue to Executioner Song, which is the greatest story of all time. So if you want to go check that out, you can find X Reads podcast on social media. They're over there. Um, they're all over the place. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And finally, just one last shout out to a educator of of young minds, uh, Kevin Helfman and his Marvel literature class students at Reynolds High School. We enjoyed your Sabes K Did You Know podcast appearance about the class. So, so cool. We've heard from Kevin and the kids uh, a couple of times over the last year or so. I sent them a big old box of comics. And uh, look, whatever we can do to encourage young minds into reading the glory that is Marvel Comics. Uh, we try to help out, and we thank you once again, Kevin, for for doing all that good work. It's really appreciated. Um. Oh, and as promised, we could not let you down. It's time for a what, what, what? Marvel Insider Code. <laughs> 
So if you're not signed up already, go head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics, checking out articles, even listening to this here podcast. Plus, we have a very special code for you folks listening to this episode right now. And that code is Winter Soldier. All as one word. That is W-I-N-T-E-R-S-O-L-D-I-E-R. And it is valid until the 31st of March of this year. When you redeem that code, you'll receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity on marvel.com slash insider. There are a limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents, 18 plus only. Terms apply. You know the deal. Go check it out. Redeem yours right away because it goes away quickly. And don't post it on Reddit. Let people who listen to the podcast get the code themselves, please. We uh, we want it to be for you folks who stick with us every week. Yeah. That's it for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Cara McGark-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Hey, Brad. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Emma Frost, you frosty gal. Emma Frost, diamonds are a girl's best friend, and also most other people's worst enemies. Don't cross Emma Frost. Am I right? All right, goodbye. Love you, Emma. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.